I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The number of the day is 27. That's how many awards were handed out during the telecast of the 2017 Primetime Emmy Awards. 25 of those went to either HBO, Netflix, Hulu, or NBC. Basically telling TV fans that if you want critically acclaimed shows, a cable subscription is completely unnecessary. The other two went to FX. That's tough to digest. This is the Stream Police Podcast. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Since 2013, the staff at Overdue Review have written opinions on hundreds of movies, TV shows, and albums. To see which titles have been given perfect grades, click to the five-star club page at OverdueReview.com. Hello again, my friend, and welcome in to the Stream Police Podcast, this monthly odyssey into television, music, and movies, all things that are out there streaming for you right now, just waiting to be watched and listened to. And then broken down by myself, the closeted podcaster, and my good friend Andy Sedlak, the basement-dwelling troll of a podcaster. (laughs) And I mean that with utmost respect, Andy. We'll be hearing from Andy in just a little bit from his basement in Dayton, Ohio. Meanwhile, I am coming at you live on tape from my closet in Cincinnati, Ohio. If you're enjoying the show, please uh, make sure you give us a five-star review, if you mean it, at iTunes. That's a huge thing. Uh, Hit subscribe, obviously. Let your friends know about it. We don't uh, make any money. We haven't made any money, at least yet, off of the show. Maybe we will. Uh, at some point, but you know, we're just still cranking along for the love of the game. And believe me, if there are two guys who love this kind of stuff, it is Andy and I. So we have fun doing it. Just uh, please go ahead and give us that five star review, and you know, write a couple words about it on uh, on iTunes. You don't have to say a whole lot. Just you know, what do you dig about the show? What do you like about it? What do you hope? Uh, why would you recommend it to one of your pals? So I am Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com, and as always, I'm going to light my like my stogie up here. I told you I'm in my closet. I like to fill it up with a little bit of stogie smoke while I talk to you about movies and TV. It's just uh, kind of some of my loves in this world. All right. Now we can officially get started on this month's edition of the Stream Police. All right. And you know how we usually like to start it with a little segment I call the greatest TV show theme song of all time. This week. 
And I figured since, hey, we're in October now, I thought we'd start October with what is, in my opinion, the scariest song in TV history. Just the creepiest, just it raised my skin every time I ever heard this song uh, come on TV when I was a kid. And I wonder if it did the same for you. That's right. It's the theme song from Unsolved Mysteries, which ran in various iterations from 1987 to 2002 on several networks. But from what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the theme song that ran from 1987 to 1995 on NBC. And this song was written by a couple guys named Michael Boyd and Gary Malkin, who we'll get to in just a moment. Like I said, this song aired before every episode. It opened every episode of Unsolved Mysteries, which was a pretty popular show from 1987 to 95 on NBC. And if the music itself didn't creep you out, then Robert Stack's narration sure as hell would get the job done. Tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, the story of a lonely housewife in Maine who searched for love in her newspaper's personal columns. Two years ago, she went on a blind date and vanished. Obviously, as is the title of the show, the whole point of the thing is that the stories were creepy and they were never solved. They were unsolved mysteries. These were real-life stories. This was not a fiction show. It was a a true crime TV show. So the show was pretty much telling you that police shows that make you feel secure and that the cops always find the bad guy, those shows are bullshit. And plenty of people disappear or die every week without any clue as to what happened to them. And years and decades go by with no one ever knowing what happened, a lot of people forgetting about it, and this mystery going unsolved. That was the whole point of the show. And man, this show scared the shit out of me when I was a little kid. TV is supposed to kind of make you feel, I'm from the Homer Simpson camp, that TV is supposed to be like a friend to you, a mentor. It's there to comfort you. It makes you feel better about life. But Unsolved Mysteries definitely did not make anyone feel better about anything that was going on in the world. It it uh, It was a tough show to watch, man, but gripping television for sure. This gloriously creepy and, you know, minimalist kind of theme song was written by Michael Boyd and Gary Malkin, who were a pair of composers who also did the music. Get this. What else would you think these guys would work on? You'd probably think maybe like Halloween or Friday the 13th or, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. Some kind of like they did the music to some horror film, right? No, these guys worked together to do the music for 1984's breakdancing movie, Breakin'. These are the same guys that wrote the music for that movie. So this was obviously quite a departure because nobody was breakdancing when this grim song cranked up. 
Grim Reaper is like the only guy who could break dance to this song. Like the Grim Reaper lays down his his scythe, throws the cardboard down on the street, and starts spinning, starts popping and locking while this song's playing. He's the only one that could pull that off. Okay. Maybe O.J. Simpson, who is free to break dance now all that he wants to. But anyway, let's move on. The show ran, Unsolved Mysteries ran for nearly 600 episodes. 600 episodes across four networks from 1987 to 2002. So it was on NBC, it was on CBS, Lifetime, and Spike, which is crazy. I mean, that shows how viable this show was. So many networks wanted to give it a chance. And now it streams on Hulu and Amazon. So basically, this show, I mean, this show's been on six networks at least, and I'm not even sure in syndication how many other places it's run. Uh, but Unsolved Mysteries was a legit phenomenon during its day. I'm not sure how well the show still holds up. I haven't gone back and watched the episodes of this show yet, but I'm thinking of maybe giving it another shot, just watch it, like picking a few random ones out and, you know, kind of seeing if it still holds up to this day. But I got to say, this theme song still makes me, like, it still creeps me out when I was looking it up. And watching it on YouTube to remember it for doing this segment, it still like gave me goosebumps. And it still made me want to turn all the lights in my house on and run to go get my grandma to come into the room and watch it with me. So as we start October 2017, that is my pick. Unsolved Mysteries from NBC. That's the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. And Unsolved Mysteries was one of those, like, in a, a series, there was a, like a litany of shows in the late 80s into the 90s and probably like ending about the early 2000s or maybe in the late 90s that were these shows that were obsessed with true crime and they were just like eerie shows. Like Cops was a, was a true crime show, obviously, but it was like real time and Cops was never creepy. Cops was just kind of like almost funny and 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 goofy uh, because the criminals were such small time, small town idiots. Uh, but like shows like Unsolved Mystery, these other shows that used to scare the shit out of me. America's Most Wanted used to scare me a lot because basically that show was like, hey, this guy's on the loose. He murdered 25 people. He killed his whole family and ate them. And now no one's seen him for 15 years. Here's a sketch of what he may look like today. And it, the sketch is so generic. It looks like anyone you may have seen at Kroger, you know, shopping next to you. So when I was a kid, America's Most Wanted, you scared the shit out of me. And that was a good show, too, because they did catch a lot of really bad people um, thanks to that show. So I, John Walsh, I think, you know, talk about a guy who took his own personal pain of his son being um, – you know, killed and and turned it into a a career that really has made a difference to a lot of people. So, I respect that guy a lot. But man, that show used to scare the shit out of me when I was a kid. Rescue nine one one. Do you remember that one? It was like it was the same thing as like unsolved mysteries, but it was just uh, tales from like paramedics and stuff like crazy rescues that they had to run on, and they did all these dramatizations and all this like kind of dark cinematography, and it also had kind of creepy music and stuff and. And it could happen to anyone, you know? It's like anyone can have this happen to them at any time in their home. Um, and I don't know, it just used to scare me. Ripley's Believe It or Not with Dean Kane. that show used to scare me too because they showed all this, like, freaky stuff, like the people with the really long fingernails and, you know, the guy who had, like, his twin uh, built into his body somewhere from birth. Um, I mean, just weird stuff. Like, I don't know why all these shows 
were on uh, Beyond Belief, Factor Fiction. Anybody remember that show? They, they actually would like explain like five or six situations to you during the show. And then at the end, they would tell you whether, you know, some of them were fact and some of them were made up by their writers. Um, but I mean, it was always like these really creepy, weird stories. And the craziest ones were always the true ones. Um, but you'd have to guess, you know, was it fact or fiction? And then they'd tell you at the end. I loved all these shows. I like to watch them. But, man, they scared the shit out of me. And I would, like, never watch them alone was the thing. I don't know. Those kinds of shows aren't really on anymore. They don't really exist, at least on network TV anymore. It's weird. Um, I feel like maybe 48 Hours or uh, Dateline are probably about as close as you get nowadays to that kind of a show. But, man, there were a bunch of them. Uh, back in the day on TV, so I don't know. This, this shows you to scare me, but Unsolved Mysteries the most, man. I think that that show creeped me out like nothing else. So I wonder from you, what shows uh, used to scare you a lot? My wife told me that uh, the scariest TV episode that she remembered from when she was a kid was this like Halloween episode of uh, Boy Meets World. And, you know, it was like a, we just watched it the other day. She, she was like, you know, you, you got to watch this episode because it used to scare me. We wanted to see if it was cheesy or still scary. It was pretty cheesy, but, um, I, you know, it was like all the, the kids in the school, like in detention, started getting killed one by one and what was going on. And, you know, so it was kind of like a horror movie done in the show, which was interesting. Um, not really like any of the other episodes of that show that I've seen. But, yeah, what used to scare you when you were a kid? What kinds of, of songs or, or shows when they'd come on would you kind of just, like, turn the lights on and run out of the room, uh, I wonder? Uh, hit me up at theclintdavis at gmail.com, T-H-E, clintdavis at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at Mr. Clint Davis. All right, let's move on. Speaking of true crime, you know, true crime's been a, a genre that has blown up in the last few years once again. It's become... Kind of like the um, the TV subgenre du jour now with shows like The Jinx, podcasts like Serial, um, shows like Making a Murderer. The, all this stuff is very popular now to do like in long form style. These kind of movies were always kind of going on, and movies like you know The Thin Blue Line, which is one of my all time favorite movies, um, and, and and directors like Werner Herzog were doing movies about true crime and whether or not this person did it. Um, uh, another one that comes to mind to me is Murder on a Sunday Morning. I loved that uh, back in the day. That was a that was a miniseries too, I believe. Um, but you know, there've been a lot of these over the years, these true crime movies. But now they're kind of very, really becoming popular. A lot of people are watching them, not just weirdos like me who like these kinds of uh, grim stories. But um, Netflix, who had great success with making a murderer, decided to put out a show that parodies the true crime genre. Um, in an eight-episode mockumentary titled American Vandal. And this was one of my ten fall TV shows that I told you last month that I was going to be checking out this year. Um, And American Vandal, I've finished watching it now, and I wanted to give you my thoughts on the show. So if you're thinking about sitting down and watching it, uh, I would recommend watching this. If you like true crime, I I I don't think you need to like true crime, really. You might uh, might enjoy the structure of it a little bit more because you'll be used to the kind of pacing and – uh, the twists and turns that happen, and um, the the journalistic aspect of it. Although obviously this whole show is fake. The point of American Vandal is this kid at a high school in California who works in like the AV department decides to start doing a documentary about another kid in class who got expelled for allegedly spray painting twenty seven penises 
on all the cars in the faculty parking lot, doing like $100,000 worth of damage to the cars. But yeah, it was just a bunch of spray-painted penises all over the cars, and so they expelled this kid, and the documentarian doesn't think that this kid is the one that did it. He's like the only one who believes the guy saying, no, I didn't do it, I was framed. Um, And of course, then the whole show goes on to lay out the case against him and some of the other kids who could have done it. And it lays out all these theories, fan theories, once the show kind of gets going. And it's just, it's really like they covered it all in this show. And American Vandal, what I will say about it, it's obviously a comedy. And it's, it's impressive in execution. And it was impressive in its construction. I think the writers did a very nice job of putting this together, putting together a mystery that actually was pretty engrossing to, you know, you did want to know who did it. Um, did Dylan do it? Is he being framed? Who's involved in this kind of thing? The politics of school, you know, it kind of reminded you of that if, you've, if you're long removed from that like I am. So the execution, the direction, the construction, the acting, all very good. But it wasn't really very funny. Like I watched all eight episodes by myself and I didn't really laugh. I don't know that I laughed. I might have laughed one time out loud in like all four hours of this thing, more than four hours of this thing. So it's not the funniest thing I've ever seen. The joke gets a little thin at at some point, but the way it's executed is really well done just as a piece of television. So I was impressed by it as far as that goes. I, I especially want to single out, there was an episode that is set like completely at a party. There's this party that happened that everyone in the school was basically at. Um, and, you know, thanks to phones and and Snapchat and stuff like that, everyone using, like, everyone having their own vantage point and, like, d- different people at different times during the party shooting videos, taking photos for social media, and the director, the director in the show breaks down, he, like, gets everyone's social media footage from that party and, like, is able to construct all these different angles of the party and see where everyone is, he can read He's able to like read some lips to manipulate some audio so you can hear what certain people are talking about at different times. And it all has to do with the case. This episode I thought was really impressive because it was just like a logistical nightmare, I would think, to direct this, to to put it together the way they did um, this particular episode. So I was really impressed with, I can't remember which one it is. I want to say episode five or six, four, four, five or six, one of those like middle episodes. Um, But it's all at this party. And it was just really impressive because this was a pretty complex and complicated piece of, of of cinema that happened here and a piece of direction that happened here. And I thought it was very easy to follow. Uh, it, it made sense in the story. And it was a really good take on, like, how social media and how the ubiquitous – ubiquity? Ubiquity of, of phones really helps sometimes in crime solving uh, because so many people may be filming – at one time that you can get a lot more angles than you would ever have before. Um, I mean, you think about the shooting of Kennedy. There's a Bruder film. There was one guy, one guy who happened to be filming when the president of the United States rolled by. Could you imagine that today? 2017. I mean, if there was some conspiracy to kill the president or something like that, there's no way you could even do it nowadays because everyone would be filming from every angle. So there would be so many different things caught on film Every person in that crowd would have had their camera up filming when Kennedy rolled by. But there was just one guy standing up on like a box shooting it, and it becomes the most famous home video of all time. So uh, it's crazy. And this episode of, of American Vandal really showed me kind of how, you know, crime solving has been aided by uh, by social media. And it's, it's pretty impressive. So 
Uh, like I said, the actors did a fantastic job from top to bottom, and the cast of American Vandal was pretty much made up of unknown young actors. Now they're not they weren't all actual teenagers. Some of them were in their 20s, but a couple of them actually were like high school age, 16, 17 years old and they look like it. I bought these kids as high school kids. I didn't for a minute really Dylan who is like 25 years old was the only one that I kind of I didn't think he really looked like a high schooler. He just looked a little bit too like old to be a high schooler. And he's like, you know, kind of like a built guy. So he just looks like bigger and older than more mature than anyone that I remember seeing in high school. He looks like a college student, which is, you know, kind of what he is. So, uh, but he did a great job regardless, even if he didn't really look like a teen, but everybody else did. And, and I, you know, for a few minutes, I'm, I'm starting to forget that these are actors and that's what's, I mean, that's the best kind of acting you can get, right? You just forget they're actors. You think they're these real kids, uh, their car, their parts are real. And I was impressed by that. I, I didn't recognize any of these actors. There was not a single actor in the whole show, and there's a lot of them in it, that I, re- that I recognized, the adults included. Um, I looked into their backgrounds, and some of them are Nickelodeon stars. Some of them were network TV child actors. Some of them were YouTube personalities, So, including uh, Jimmy Tatro, who played Dylan Maxwell. He's a YouTube personality, apparently, that I didn't know. But, you know, some kids may know him, but... You know, most people like my age and older, they're not going to recognize this guy from anything. So it really does lend to the reality of the show being a documentary that was produced at a high school. I also want to single out uh, a young female actor named Camille Ramsey, who played Dylan's girlfriend, uh, Mackenzie. She, to me, did the best job of anybody in the entire show. And apparently Camille Ramsey's this new actor. She's not really been in anything. Her IMDb page is basically bare. But I'm expecting that to change real soon because she was very good in this show. She had like a couple scenes that actually were very powerful in the midst of this show about like a, <laughs> a guy spray painting dicks on cars at school. Um, she had a couple moments that were really human, really powerful. So I uh, I was impressed. I thought uh, I thought the actors did a very nice job, and they had to be leaned on heavily. The acting felt very real. It felt um, it felt improv, and I was surprised that I didn't really see a lot of improv background with these players because I was thinking, God, these have to be improv actors because it seems like they're kind of just making it up as they go along. But it turns out when I looked into the writing, I mentioned before that I didn't think it was that funny. Uh, it was more just impressively executed. The writing staff, apparently no one on the writing staff were comedy writers. So this is not a comedy writing staff. This was a writing staff made up of some journalists, like crime writers and and people who have written you know, shows about shows kind of in that arena. But they're not comedy writers is what I read from the creator. So it may it you know it it's, makes sense. It shows you what a comedy writer is able to add to a show, and obviously knowing what's really funny because it, it just wasn't that funny. I just didn't think it was very funny, but it was well written, well done, um, and it felt like a real true crime documentary. So, uh, and, and I was into it. The the only thing I'm not sure about, I'm not sure if American Vandal needed to be eight episodes long, especially because a few of these episodes are longer than thirty minutes. Actually, most of them are. They're like thirty two minutes, thirty three minutes. One of them's like forty two minutes. Um, so it was a little, felt a little long to me. Um, but I did enjoy watching it. I wasn't like, oh, I wish this would end. Um, but I feel like they probably could have done the same thing in four episodes, maybe six, um, you know, probably six, but it just felt like a little bit long, uh, with eight episodes. It's the kind of show though, that only Netflix could really do. I think Netflix is probably the only network I could imagine 
giving a go to this show. Maybe YouTube, um, but I could not see Hulu doing this show. I couldn't see Amazon. Amazon's very serious. I couldn't see them doing this show. Uh, obviously, I could not see a network or cable channel doing this show. So I think this is a this is like a Netflix vehicle all the way. And now they've talked about maybe doing a second season with the same documentarian. To me, that might be stretching it a little bit. I think we could probably move on to another school maybe and have uh, another kind of case like this happening. But um, if they don't, you know, who cares? This was a kind of a, a cool one-off, one-time thing. And um, it was a very good mockumentary of the true crime genre, at least the best I've seen in that vein. So uh, if you want to check it out, American Vandal right now is on Netflix, eight episodes streaming for you. And um, not the quickest watch ever. I watched one episode a day. I, I didn't have a single day where I watched more than one episode. I felt like that was plenty for me. So uh, I wouldn't call it like one that you're just going to want to turn on the next one right away. It wasn't quite that gripping. And like I said, not that funny, but really uh, a, a well-done show, well-crafted TV. And a lot of young actors, man. If you like to watch young actors um, kind of you know playing young people, this was a, a very good version of that. So I give the, the, the writers and the actors a lot of credit and the directors a lot of credit in doing this show. So here's what we know. Tuesday, March 15th, 2016. It was an admin day, so no classes were held. 27 dicks were spray-painted onto 27 cars in the staff parking lot of Hanover High School in Oceanside, California. It was horrible. I had to drive home with a big penis on my car. The children in the neighborhood saw it. I'll never understand what's so amusing about penises. So that's American Vandal. That right now is on Netflix, and that was one of my 10 shows this fall that I am going to be checking out. Obviously, as I watch some of the other shows, I'm going to be letting you know uh, you know, what I think about all of them. Coming up a little bit later on in the show, I'll be giving you just initial thoughts on the first couple episodes of some more of those shows that I've had on my list. Okay, I mentioned the Emmys real quick at the top of the show, and I did want to touch on them again before I toss things over to Andy. The Emmys obviously were a few weeks ago, and... I just have to ask you guys, did anyone really think that The Handmaid's Tale was the best show of the past year? I mean, did any of you really think that, like, that was the greatest show of the last year? I reviewed The Handmaid's Tale in an episode earlier this year. You can go back and, and watch it. It's right in the title. It says The Handmaid's Tale. I broke down the show. I gave you my full review of the first season, and I told you that I liked it. I enjoyed the show. I thought Handmaid's Tale was well done. I thought the first few episodes especially were well done, good world building. Um, and, you know, I thought that they brought the vision of the book to life, according to what my wife had said, because she loves that book dearly. And watching it with her, you know, she felt like, yeah, they did get a lot of things right. So I reviewed it here, and like I said, I, I told you that I, I thought I it was a good show. I did like it, but it did have issues as it rolled on. It felt like it was spinning its wheels. It felt a little overly long. It felt a little self-indulgent, if I may say so, heavy-handed with its message, um, not subtle in any way, obviously. And it was also frustrating to watch, I think, just because of the situations that they put their characters in with really no hope that anything was going to get better. I'm also not sure that The Handmaid's Tale was a cultural phenomenon. I mean, if I heard a few like TV people talked about it, and some of the uh, feminists that I know, like the, the serious feminists that I know, talked about watching it. 
But I think beyond that, I don't know if it was really like a big popular show, which is kind of goes into naming something the greatest, like the best drama of the year. I think you do it. Popularity should play a little bit of a part and it can't just be a show that insiders watch um if it's really going to be named the best show of the year overall though i was looking back at the nominees for best drama this year i I think the nominees were a little down a little down this year uh overall wasn't the best year in tv history um i didn't watch the crown so i'm not gonna say anything about the crown i don't know that that could have been fantastic but i didn't watch it i honestly i think the best choice for best drama this year would have been this is us if i could have said what show I think should have won Best Drama of the Year, I would have given it to This Is Us, simply because, first off, the show was very good. But the more important thing is that network television has not been appointment viewing, and it hasn't been very relevant in years. And This Is Us was a really well-done show from top to bottom. It continuously surprised me. They, the clever and heartfelt ways that they unfolded the story arc really impressed me a lot. But I just think that it's like appointment viewing. People I know are, are saying like, yeah, on Tuesday nights, I'm watching This Is Us. And I haven't heard people really say that about a show. Network TV is really the only place that can kind of pull that off. Now, Game of Thrones is definitely network viewing or appointment viewing also, I should say. But Game of Thrones wasn't up this year. But I feel like This Is Us was to me a better show than Handmaid's Tale. Um, it juggled more things, and it made like a story about a family, which how many times have we seen that done on television? We've seen it a hundred times, um, especially in recent years. But the way the story was done was so clever, and I, I feel like Dan Fogelman and his writers just did such a great job of inhabiting these characters, filling them with life, um, making us cry, making us laugh. I love the characters in that show. I, I just think This Is Us was, should have been the winner for, for Best Drama. That would have definitely been my pick. But um, but like I said, I love Better Call Saul too. But I, I think This Is Us would have been a better winner than Handmaid's Tale. I just didn't think Handmaid's Tale was best drama series material. At least not yet. I don't know. I think I think they were trying to be on the right side of history maybe with that pick. So we'll see. What did you think, though? Did you think Handmaid's Tale deserved to win that? Um, I don't know. I just was kind of I was kind of cool on it. I, 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 I could see it getting nominated, but I just didn't see it as a viable winner. I am glad, though, that Elizabeth Moss, the star of The Handmaid's Tale, finally got her Emmy. I mean, this is a woman that was nominated seven times in years previous for her acting work. She got nominated six times for her work on Mad Men as Peggy. And she was the best character on Mad Men. She was, to me, way more interesting than Don Draper. Um, just She was the best character on the show, best written, and I thought Elizabeth Moss nailed that character. I, I mean, I, I, was, I, I was enthralled by her every week on that, what became one of my favorite shows ever. So it was ridiculous that she never won an Emmy for Mad Men. Also, for Top of the Lake, she was nominated and didn't win for that either. But her work in Handmaid's Tale is intense, and I'm glad she won for it. I just feel like the show's trying too hard at times, you know? But I got to say, Elizabeth Moss embraces that role fully, and she nails it. And she's a good ambassador for that show. So uh, there you go. That's uh, Those are my thoughts on the Emmys this year. I don't know. I didn't have a whole lot of thoughts on it. I actually didn't watch the ceremony this year. This was the first time in a long time that... Beth and I did not watch the Emmys, and we didn't even want to watch it. You know why? Because it aired up against the first episode of Ken Burns' The Vietnam War on PBS. So if you're going, if you got Ken Burns versus the Emmys, I'm sorry, but Kenny's going to win every single time. 
So I'm going to talk about the Vietnam War documentary coming up in just a bit. But first, let me toss things over to our maestro, Andy Sedlak. Take it away, my friend. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How are we doing? Hope all is well. Uh, this is uh, <clears throat> this is going to be a little bit different today. Um, I don't have uh, I don't have any notes uh, in front of me. I don't have anything uh, prepared. Uh, nothing uh, that I explicitly want to say. I, I'm just going to kind of shoot from the hip here, okay? And and uh, this again, this will be this will be a little bit different. Uh, I will. Uh, talk about uh, Tom Petty. Um, so, if uh, you know if you're not totally familiar with his music, or uh, you're not you know totally I- into something um, sort of freeform like this, um, go ahead and and skip forward. <laughs> you know, it won't it won't hurt my feelings. Clint will be uh, more than happy to. Uh, to uh to pick up the conversation but um but you know I felt like it, it just I I don't know what I feel like you know as I sit here um I I found out about uh Tom Petty um in his situation uh about 5 hours ago and I had like this plan of what I was going to talk about and and uh I knew what what I wanted to tell you and we were going to go into a few different things and and stuff that I thought was actually pretty interesting and and I'm just going to hold on to it I'm going to put it on ice we'll be we'll, we will revisit it uh next month and I'm just going to kind of spitball here uh I didn't know Tom Petty uh I'm guessing you probably didn't know Tom Petty but his music felt like a friend there were many nights uh, where, you know, I would lay awake and I would listen to him and his band. And it was like a, just a, a wonderful companion. There were many uh, drives that, that I took under many different types of circumstances. And uh, that's, you know, that was, hey, that's what was playing. That was my, that was a tool, you know, that I was using at the time. And I don't know if you if you use music like I do. Maybe you do, and maybe you don't. It's okay either way. But but part of what I use music for, you know, uh, to interpret the world around me, I have found over the course of my life that uh, certain uh, certain perspectives uh, that are that are shared or certain common threads in, in rock and roll music make more sense to me uh, than a lot of other uh, things that you'll come by. 
So as a result, yeah, you, you, you end up using the music to perceive and to interpret and to make sense of the world around you. You use it as uh, uh, sort of to, to soothe yourself emotionally if it's something that you're familiar with, if it's a, a longtime favorite of yours, if it's something you never listened to, if it's something you uh, probably haven't listened to maybe as much as what you maybe th- what you could. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there, there are endless ways to, uh, to interact with, with this material. And I interacted in all of these ways uh, with Tom Petty's music. You know, everybody likes Tom Petty. Mark Marin, uh, the comedian, does a bit about how everybody likes Tom Petty. That's literally the only thing we, we have in common, <laughs> is that we all like Tom Petty. And the news, uh, you know, with everything that's going on, was tough. And I don't know if you feel like me at all, but we are learning a lot about the different layers in our country. We're learning a lot about our fellow uh, countrymen. And there are many people who uh, feel at odds with what we're learning. There are many people who feel like outsiders all of a sudden, and I am one of them. And there is just sort of a loneliness that can set in, and when that loneliness sets in, we tend to embrace the things that we are sure about. And one of those things is, is you know, is the music that's, uh, that never lets you down. And Tom Petty was one of those guys that never let me down. How much did I enjoy Tom Petty's music? To this day, one of my best friends, and whenever we hang out, there is always about a 20 or 30 minute discussion set aside to discuss Tom Petty music. How much did I enjoy Tom Petty? When I moved away to college, he had a record come out called Highway Companion. And I remember listening to that record as I felt like I was on the edge of the earth driving away from the house that I grew up and to the dorm room that I now called home. It's a transitional period to me, and that record was one of the records that uh, brings me back to that moment. Without those records, I don't know if I'd remember it the same way. How much do I like Tom Petty? I quoted him in my grandmother's eulogy, not because I had to get in a a million-dollar quote from... uh, a musician that I admired, but because it just happened to be so fitting for the moment. And the, when the world feels upside down, and when things feel off, and when you don't recognize things that you felt like you've always recognized before, you tend to go back to the things that never let you down. And that's why, that's one of the reasons <laughs> why it hurts so much to hear about the situation that Tom Petty was in, and then there was this this whole uh, thing where the LAPD uh, fumbled the ball, and and did they pull this gentleman off life support, or did they not? We don't know. And he just seemed like the kind of guy that would hate this, that would hate that all of these vultures trying to confirm his death. And I get it. I mean, I you know, hey, you got. I mean, that's that's part of the. I worked as a reporter for several years. That's part of the biz. Uh, But if you're not part of the business, you do have to also realize how this can look. So I find out, and, and, you know, it's looking less and less like bullshit. 
and you feel worse and worse. And, you know, you just kind of have to, God, just excuse yourself. And I, I had to step outside for Christ's sake, you know. Didn't know him, didn't know anybody who knew him, never shared an elevator, never had a phone call, never shook his hand, never got an autograph. I never tweeted him. He never tweeted me. Um, but, man, you know, you feel like you know that music intimately. And I was still a fan of the stuff that he was doing. I kept up with him. I, I listened to his radio show, Buried Treasure. I, 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 I just was an ad. I, I just admired everything the guy did. One of the best decisions I've made as of late was that I decided to see him on, on his last tour. Now, I've got the set list here. He opened, it was the, uh, the Heartbreakers 40th anniversary tour. So he opened with the first uh, track off of their first album, a song called uh, Rockin' Around With You. From there it went Mary Jane's Last Dance, You Don't Know How It Feels, Forgotten Man. That's a great song. It's, from the, the, it's one of his newer songs. Check it out. It's called Forgotten Man. Played You Got Lucky, I Won't Back Down, Free Fallen, Walls. Don't come around here no more. It's good to be king. Crawling back to you. Wildflowers. Those last three were on uh, the Wildflowers record. All three of them. Played Learning to Fly. You're so bad. I should have known it. God, thanks for, that's a killer, too. That riff machine. Played Refugee, Running Down a Dream. The encore songs were You Wreck Me and American Girl. That was a set list from uh, June 7th, 2017. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers at Value City, at Value City Arena. The Schottenstein Center in Columbus, Ohio. I lied to you. I do have some things written down here. Um, Tom Petty. 80 million records sold. That places him uh, up there with folks like The Doors, Van Halen, uh, Coldplay, Johnny Cash. He had one. The band had one number one album. Ironically, not until 2014. It's called Hypnotic Eye. 15 top 40 hits. The highest charting Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers song was, and you may not know this, Don't Do Me Like That, charted at number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. His highest charting solo song was, of course, Free Fallen, came in at number 7. But this isn't about numbers. This is about seeing somebody that um, you truly identified with in the uh, running obituaries on the Internet. It's about seeing somebody that you truly identified with and the letters R.I.P. in front of their name. It's people referencing songs that gave you, uh, they gave you some strength and courage and insight and then referring to the man who wrote them in past tense. It's about looking around and saying that that insight was valuable, that those angles and that perspective and that sound and that direction was valuable for me and for many other people, and now the continuation of those things has stopped. We have the music that got us this far, but it's a bummer that we won't have any more. When I saw him in June, he sang like a bird. The band played their asses off. As the man famously said, he went down swinging. I hope to say the same, and you should too. Tom Petty was 66 years old. Selfishly, I feel like I wasn't done with his music yet. I'd like to think that he felt the same way. <laughs> so here's what you do. I'm going on and on and on. 
and I'm not sure whether any of this made any sense or not, or if I'm just rambling, it's tough to, sometimes it feels like all you can do is just to talk around the point, you know, and, and, and if you're lucky, maybe you'll put your finger on it, but I don't know if I have. So let me say this. If you're a fan, play that music loud. Personally, I find it hard to listen to right now. But as soon as I'm able, I'll play it loud. Play that music loud. I'm going to leave you with his Hall of Fame acceptance speech, and then you're going to hear five songs that will speak for themselves. Now, here he is in 2002 after being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I am truly humbled to be added to this list of people uh, in this hall that uh, have meant so much to my life. The music uh, overcame me at a very early age and has consumed my life. I love everything about it, all the people I've met and uh, the great times I've had. I'm very proud that we're being inducted as a group as Tom Payne the Heartbreakers because they're the best fucking band in America. I must thank Danny Cordell for discovering us and uh, having the faith to, like, you know, put some money into the band and uh, got us a house, a place to stay, and actually paid our, our wages for a year before we made a record. You know, you try to find that today, baby. It don't go on, but it might be a good idea to nurture some of these artists along. Tony Dimitriotis is uh, our manager, has put up with me on a daily basis for 25 years. I am not always a summer breeze, and I, uh, I thank him very much. I'm very proud of you, Tony. My kids, Adria, Kim, Dylan, thank you for allowing me to, uh, to be gone as much as I was. And I thank this rock and roll for the freedom it's given me. And I thank the fans for such a wonderful life. And I thank God for all of it. God bless you. Thank you very much. And especially my wife, Dana, who I love beyond belief.
sure, but it seems I remember the good times with just a little bit more in focus. But when she puts her arms around me, I can somehow rise above it. You know, when I got that little girl standing right by my side, you know, I can tell the whole wide world. Shout it, hey, here comes my girl. Here comes my girl. myself wouldn't it be great wouldn't it be great if just for just for one moment everything was all right if just for one moment one moment in time everything was all right Give that to you, baby. Give you a moment. I wanna give that to you. I wanna give you that moment. And look into your mystic eyes.
I want to look into your mystic eye Cause you can make it happen, baby When anything is real Baby, anything is possible Where anything is real I want to be where everything is possible Honey, anything is real.
coming to you live from the basement in Dayton. I love it. Back to me, the closeted podcaster, uh, Clint Davis, once again, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. Urge you to go check out the website. We've been a little, uh, we, we've been a little, I don't know, what's the word? Lame on updating the website lately. I think both of us has just had uh, kind of a ton going on. Um, but uh, I promise more is coming. I've, st- I've been watching a ton of movies and a ton of TV. I just have not been finding a ton of time to write about it. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know. That's uh, that, But, hey, that's my problem, not yours. But, hey, we'll continue to crank out the stream police for you religiously every month right here, courtesy of our friends at Acast and at uh, Apple Podcasts. All right, so I want to give you a bold television prediction for fall 2017. My bold television prediction this year is that ABC's new version of American Idol will fizzle out. I think this show is going to go down in flames. So for American Idol, ABC has gathered three massive names in music, and I'm not I'm not being sarcastic at all. These are massive names. And they've arguably got the biggest name in television these days in Ryan Seacrest. The massive names in music uh, that they have for judges, Katy Perry, who played the Super Bowl a couple years ago. She could fill any stadium right now she wants to, um, just with a few days' notice. Luke Bryan. Fill your cup up. Let's tear it up, up. Arguably the biggest name in country music. A couple-time entertainer of the year winner at the CMAs. Um, a guy who, again, he could fill any stadium in the country at just a moment's notice. Um, and Lionel Richie, who is one of the biggest songwriting and, and music icons in music history. So they've got a legacy guy there that a lot of people still like. Uh, they still love his music. His music still gets played. Um, and he's got a you know great reputation also as being a, a good uh, mentor and a great ambassador for, for music itself. So really some great names there um, in Katy Perry, Luke Bryan, um, Lionel Richie and Ryan Seacrest, like I said, arguably the biggest name in television these days. So this show is going to be crazy expensive. It's going to look fantastic, I guarantee. And it's got the most iconic name in reality television in American Idol. But I just don't think the audience is going to be there to sustain it anymore because, like I said, the costs are going to be huge. They're going to have massive expectations. They're probably going to expect this to be uh, their most popular show. It's good. They're going to expect it to be right up there with Dancing with the Stars. And I just don't know if the audience is there anymore. When it was on Fox, I looked into this the last few years of its run, ratings steadily fell during the final few seasons. I mean, there was a reason why Fox canceled this show. This was the golden goose for Fox. American Idol was like Fox's biggest thing for so many years. I mean, it was you thought of Fox, you thought of American Idol pretty much. And they canceled it for a reason. I mean, they didn't they didn't just cancel it, you know, for their health because they had to clear space for more episodes of Bob's Burgers or Seth MacFarlane's new TV show. They they canceled it because it just wasn't making the money anymore. It wasn't worth putting out. So ABC gobbled it up and they're cranking it back out again after it's only been canceled for like what, 2 years at this point. But I just feel like with the judges that they got, Katy Perry is such a polarizing figure these days because of her politics. She's a very, um, very outspoken 
um, liberal, and she was she campaigned for Hillary Clinton big time during the campaign last year. Uh, made no bones about you know how much she hated Trump and everything. And this show is going to be relying on, as all network TV shows do, this show is going to be relying on getting viewers of all political backgrounds and of all belief systems and everything else. And they want to reach Middle America, which is right where Trump's base kind of sits. So I don't know. I think that could end up being a bad thing depending on how much they know about Katy Perry's politics. But honestly, I would not be shocked these days if Donald Trump tells his loyal followers to just boycott the show and if they follow along and do it. I mean, I could totally see him doing it. If Katy Perry, the next thing she tweets about Donald Trump, and if she's on the air and and she says anything, I I mean, I think they're going to definitely make sure that they're not saying anything on the air about politics. But, you know, on social media, she's got the biggest Twitter following, I think, in Twitter. I think she's got more followers than anyone else on Twitter. I, I know she did a couple years ago. Um, but the next bad thing she says about Trump, which is going to be coming any day, he'll probably be like, don't watch ABC's American Idol. Boycott it. Sad. Used to be a great show. If you're in a state and you're watching this and your polls are still open, you must vote for Hillary Clinton tonight. Tonight will be proof that America is great. So let's do it tonight for Hillary! I don't know. I just see some bad things coming for ABC's American Idol. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm I'm not expecting a smash for ABC. I'm not expecting a number one show. Maybe the pilot, maybe the first episode is going to do really well, but then... I don't know. I just don't, I don't see it hanging out too much after that. It's it's ultimately a reboot of something that got canceled a couple years ago and is barely cold right now. It's not original. It's not original at all. So I don't know. But do people really care if something's original? I guess not. And I'm not exactly sure when Idol is uh, going to be airing on ABC, but it is going to be in 2018. It's not actually going to be um, technically this fall. So maybe saying it's a bold fall prediction is not totally correct, but I'm guessing, you know, somewhere in winter 20, like this coming, maybe January, February 2018, uh, sometime like that, maybe maybe early spring. I don't know, but I, I just imagine it um, not coming on too late in the year unless they want to make it into a summer show to go against America's Got Talent or something like that. But I'm not sure. There hasn't been much word about when it's actually going to premiere other than saying that it starts in 2018. Speaking of bold predictions on this show, I did last uh, month say something very bold in this television landscape. I went as far as to say that I think Game of Thrones sucks now. It's just not a good show anymore. And I posted my thoughts uh, on Game of Thrones, my segment from this show on YouTube, and it got uh, several thousand views and I got some very good feedback on that video. It seemed a lot of people agreed with me. Um, And I got one really good email that I wanted to single out um, from Eugene, who wrote me up and said that uh, he watched, he, he listened to my take on Game of Thrones, does Game of Thrones suck now? And he says, all I can say is amen. From the best show on TV from seasons one to four, the writers have managed to ruin the beauty of the show. Uh, At this point, Game of Thrones has taken the Transformers approach, mindless action, tons of explosions and pointless CGI and zero character development, which to me is really, really bad. Yeah, I I mean, like I said, Eugene, I just think the show early on was so much uh, about character development. That was all it was about, character development and and, and logical storytelling and um, 
you know, and, and dialogue. And it was just, that was what was the greatest thing about this show. It wasn't the battles and stuff like that. I didn't really care about any of that. It wasn't the action. I could give a shit less about that. But it was just a great show uh, because of the character development. It still had flaws. I don't think it was the best show on TV. I don't think it was ever the best show on TV. Uh, I'll say that also. But I do think at its peak, it was really very good. Like in season three, season four, this was a really good show. And it's still appointment viewing. I'm going to keep watching the final season whenever that does air. I might be... uh, I might be in the grave by the time that final season airs, but uh, it's just, I think the show kind of sucks now. I think it has kind of jumped the shark at this point. So um, it's, and it's crazy. I don't know if you blame it on the books running out, but I think it's not a coincidence that that happened about the same time that the show kind of did start to stink. They were leaning heavily on the book material from George R.R. Martin, and maybe they just ripped through it too fast. I'm, I'm not sure. So, that uh, was my uh, take on Game of Thrones, and I, I'm glad I got some feedback. Seemed like some people agreed with me. I didn't hear anyone that didn't agree with me. So, you know, I'm going to say that I, I think I'm, I'm right on this take, and, you know, I'm going to take it with me. So appreciate the email, Eugene. Thank you very much. All right, moving on. From a show that jumped the shark to a show that I think is one of the best things I've seen in television in years, The Vietnam War, the new documentary from Lynn Novick and Ken Burns, on PBS just wrapped up its 18-hour uh, run in exploring everything about the Vietnam War, about the country of Vietnam itself, what led America into it, and why was it so long in getting out of that terrible, terrible situation in the jungle. I just have to say, as I'm talking to you right now, I have not finished it yet, so I haven't watched the the final episodes or anything of the Vietnam War. But uh, Beth and I have watched the first four at this point, and I—, I I'm just so impressed with this thing. Lynn Novick and Ken Burns completely outdid themselves once again. Um, This also was included in my list of 10 fall shows that I'm going to be checking out. And I'm so happy that I did add this one to my list because, I mean, this thing's going to win every documentary Emmy that it's up for next year. And it's a shame that the the Oscars actually changed its uh, rules about TV documentaries not being up anymore after the OJ one won. Because this would have won the Oscar for Best Documentary, and it's way better than that O.J. documentary. I mean, it's much better. The O.J. documentary was fine, but this is is fantastic. This is is the kind of work that takes decades to put together, and it's so impressively done. My favorite thing about the Vietnam War documentary is that it's so easy to follow, but it's also so in-depth. Like, Novick and Burns do not skim over anything. And this is not like it's not an easy show to pigeonhole as far as the message it's trying to deliver. It's not a rah rah celebration of the military. It's not uh, you know some chest thumping, flag waving, patriotic thing about America being right all the time. How could it be when it's about Vietnam? But it's also at the same time not some pretentious intellectual's view down on the people who fought the war over there. The show points a lot of fingers. Um, for the the involvement in Vietnam, it points a lot of fingers at government leaders around the world, but especially at our own presidents. It points some serious fingers at John F. Kennedy, at Lyndon B. Johnson, at Nixon. I mean, it's going after all these guys and and telling you things that are shocking to hear as far as how much of this war and how many lives were lost just for the sake of pride, just for the sake the sheer sake of not saying, well, Let's just give up and get out of here. We have no reason being here. This is unwinnable. We don't. The people don't even want us here. It was just a thing where it was like, we're America. We're invincible. World War II a couple years ago, we kicked ass. We can do no wrong. 
and it's sad, man. I mean, it's just the it's the the pride of men. Of course, you do. You wonder uh, where the world would be if women from the start had been the leaders of this country and of this world. You wonder how many things would not have happened uh, that have been so sad, have cost so many lives. Um, and I, I'm not not to say that women don't have pride. Also, of course, they do. Uh, but man, just I don't know, just a shame. Uh, to it's it's a frustrating show to watch because of how many lives were lost and how pointless it really all was at the end of the day. Um, and the show really points a lot of fingers at the Vietnamese uh, leadership that the United States was backing. It's like we were on the wrong side uh, the whole time, and and the scare of communism and just all these things that so seem so dated. And so ridiculous at this point that you would lay down so many lives for something as stupid as that, um, as an you know some kind of ideology like that. It's just it's it's mind-boggling. But the show is so well done. They they find certain like personal stories to tell in the middle of this overarching thing about the Vietnam War, about the protests of the Vietnam War, about the politics in Vietnam. It really does a nice job in the first episode of laying out the really the history of Vietnam, the colonial rule of the country, and kind of how that led to uh, what would become known as the Viet Cong um, in trying to get their own independence from the you know French rulers who had come into their country and taken it over. So um, and then how we kind of came in and became the new, uh, you know, white people who were in the country trying to take over the country for our own reasons in trying to spread democracy, you know, whatever that means sometimes. So it's just uh, but they find some personal stories from both sides, like stories about soldiers in South Vietnam, stories about soldiers in North Vietnam, stories about families in Vietnam, stories about American soldiers who went over there to fight. And it's all just really well done. Some great footage that they've got also some very good photos family photos um the music from Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor was phenomenal such a great choice uh for Burns and Novick to go with them uh as the composers and I I was just I'm floored by how good this thing is and I'm I'm enjoying watching it but yeah it's it's a hard watch because it really happened and it's it's so frustrating but man you just hope you know, you don't want to repeat these things, but it seems like we're repeating the same things that happened in Vietnam right now, you know, with our continuing uh, involvement in the Middle East. So, I don't know. It's hard to watch. Must-watch TV, though, I would say, the Vietnam War. It is must-watch television if you have any interest in history um, and in, in knowing kind of what happened in that time. And I think you should. You should know it because there's a lot of Vietnam vets still out there and and not that old. And you probably have some in your family and I think you owe it to them to know the real story about what went on over there. Um, and a lot of those guys, a lot of those those veterans, they probably don't even know all the stories about why we were involved. Uh, why did we go over there in the first place? What was happening back here? What was the president saying in private conversations? They don't know this kind of stuff. They were just asked to go out there and fight. So it's uh, I think it's it's a really it's powerful stuff. Very powerful show, and I'm 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 really excited about it. I love it. Uh, the explicit language version is the one we've been watching. It's on PBS.org right now, streaming, so you can watch the full, the uncut version. There's not a lot of cursing in it anyway, but you know some of the the people that they interview just they are cussing during their interviews, and if you don't want to hear them censored, watch the explicit language version on PBS.org. I was glad that they made that available online. So the Vietnam War right now is uh, streaming for you. 
uh, on PBS.org. It's also on PBS On Demand on your television, and it'll be coming out to home video soon, and I'm sure someone else will have it streaming. So uh, check it out. I could not recommend this thing more. Around the world, anti-war demonstrators returned to the streets. The Prime Minister of Sweden compared the United States to Nazi Germany. The Pope called the bombing which killed more than 1,600 civilians the object of daily grief. James Reston of the New York Times pronounced the raids war by tantrum. Republican Senator William Saxby of Ohio said the president had taken leave of his senses. Okay, so I told you my fall TV preview last time out, the 10 shows I was going to be checking out. Uh, I have watched episodes of a few of them so far, and I just real quick wanted to give you my take on the first few episodes of each of them. Um, I told you about American Vandal and the Vietnam War already, so those two were on my list. Also, American Horror Story Cult was on my list, and I've watched a few episodes of that. I'm only a few episodes into it. Um, and it's interesting to see how they're exploring phobias and mental illness in this show, along with some more abstract topics like political mob mentality, uh, the culture of fear in America. Um, so I, it's been, you know, American Horror Story is always an interesting ride regardless. Um, and it's always kind of been interested in the overall culture of America and the psych psychology of you know, what goes on when you're scared. So, but this, this episode, this season, I should say, has been more politically focused and more kind of about uh, just some more abstract topics, I feel like, rather than just trying to scare you with jump scares. Um, and also, I got to say, Allison Pill has been really good in this season so far in as playing one of the co-leads of the show. So American Horror Story Cult right now is airing on FX, and I'll be giving you a more full take on it after I finish it up here, uh, probably before the next episode. Uh, also, Liar is airing right now on Sundance, and I have checked a couple episodes of that one out as well. Uh, this was a show that uh, I think it's only an eight-episode series, and it's about two people who go on a date, and at the end of the date, the woman uh, blacks out, she wakes up the next day and she's been raped and, uh, you know, she tells the police and the guy who she was on the date with is like oblivious to this. He denies it. No, I didn't rape you. We had consensual sex. It was great. Um, and he's, you know, a very trustworthy guy and she seems trustworthy as well. And it's just a, like a he said, she said, and, and the show's kind of going into the events of the night and what really happened. So I'm two episodes into the show and stories about rape that hinge on whether or not the woman is telling the truth, that just makes me uncomfortable. And when I recommended this show, I wasn't sure what the storyline was. All they said was, two people go on a date, something bad happens. And, you know, you could infer that it would probably be about sexual assault, but I wasn't sure yet. So I don't know. So I'm watching it, but it, I'm just, I'm going to say it makes me uncomfortable. Because it would almost be more interesting to me if we knew the rape happened. Like if it was for sure. First episode, the woman got raped. And we saw it happen. And then after that, we follow along with the, the personal drama that follows the victim of a crime like that and the perpetrator of a crime like that. I think that almost would have been more interesting to me. I just don't see how this show can end with her making it up. I don't see how Liar can end. And it's like, yep, she was making it up. She didn't get raped. She was just trying to ruin this guy's life. I mean, that would be in extremely poor taste if that's how it ended. So I can't imagine that's how it ends. But I'm sure they're going to somehow sidestep it and end up having the ending 
please everyone and, and make it to where neither the woman or the man is lying. And maybe there's some third party who came in and did something to her when after the date was over. I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen in this show, but I just I, I cannot imagine them ending it being like, yep, she was lying. She didn't. She, she wasn't raped. Um, just I mean, that's that would just be horrible. So I'm a little uncomfortable by this show, but. You know, the acting's good, and I'll continue watching it. So I'll let you know what I think about it when it's over. But it's Liar. That is airing right now on Sundance, and the episodes of it that are available are on demand right now if you do have a cable or satellite subscription with Sundance TV. Um, I wanted to give you a a little bonus review of a new show that I I caught the first episode also, The Mayor on ABC. I did not have this one on my 10 shows I was going to watch. It was kind of like in the running, but it wasn't in my 10. Uh, this was a show about a, a rapper, like a, a small-time rapper in, in California who runs for mayor of his hometown just on a lark to try to drum up promotion for his new record. And he ends up winning, of course. Um, hmm, where could they have got the idea for that storyline? And now he's got to really do some work. So I watched the first episode of it, and it's just like it feels very network sitcom-y. Just, it's cheesy, man. It's just it's It's very cheesy. I think... I you know I mean think the actors are doing a fine job. I just don't know like it's going to be this like inspirational heartwarming thing. I just know it is and I don't know. So I probably won't be sticking with this one. I just kind of wanted to see where they were going. It did have a catchy theme song to it, so I'll give it that, but uh, the mayor right now is airing on ABC and uh, we'll see how long it sticks around. People are probably just kind of tired of politics but it does seem like it's not like a a cynical show it's like a very upbeat show about politics so i will give it that and i also caught the pilot episode of the tick which is airing on amazon right now and i was impressed with the special effects i thought the special effects looked movie quality um, and the pilot was funny so i'll be watching that there's six episodes of that on amazon right now uh also, though, uh, some returning shows that I love, Better Things is back, and I continue to just fall in love with Better Things on FX. Sam Fox on the show, played by Pamela Adlon, is the best mom on television, I swear. I don't think there's a better mom on TV. I love watching Pamela Adlon interact with her daughters on this show, and those daughters are so fun to watch. They're just like, they're just these really good young actors. Um, who do such a great job of standing up against this mom who's very short but formidable. Um, and it's just fun to watch these characters interact with each other. This show is such a gem. I don't know if people are watching Better Things. It did get nominated for a couple Emmys, but, man, it is a really good show. If you like shows like Louie, and if you like shows, it's a much more upbeat show than Louie, but it's it's produced by Louis C.K., and it, it's got the same kind of look going on um, as Louie. If you like Transparent, I think you'll really dig this show. It's a really just a gem of a nice family show. It's funny and it's so heartfelt and it explores issues like gender identity, but it does it in such a subtle way that it never feels preachy. It never feels like you're learning a lesson, but you are learning something when you watch this show. So Better Things to me is is one of the best shows on TV and I, I continue to love this one. Its second season is airing right now on FX. Do yourself a favor and watch Better Things when you get a chance. Um, also, This Is Us is back on NBC now. I mentioned it before. Ratings held strong for the debut, and it's just good. It feels good to have a network TV show that has everyone talking. It feels right, doesn't it, as a TV fan? The episodes don't stream on demand or online early. Like, they're not trying to do that gimmick where we let you watch them early. 
they just air at the usual time and everyone watches the show together and it is just it's really cool i think that's really cool to be able to go to work the next day after an episode of this is us and really actually talk about it and it's not on hbo or something so everyone can watch it it's just it's really nice to have a show like that so this is us is back for its second season on nbc all right, and as we wrap up here on the Stream Police podcast, I want to leave you, send you out the door with some movies that are now streaming on Netflix and Amazon. Usually I only give you one pick from Netflix, one pick from Amazon, but since it's October and I want to give you some horror picks, I'm going to give you three from each, uh, three horror movies that you should watch that are on Netflix and Amazon right now. First off, on Netflix, Hellraiser, one of my absolute favorite horror films ever. So scary. Um just special effects that are still mind-blowing to me today. And it's still got like this creepy S&M bondage thing going on. Um, just a crazy vision of horror. Uh, and one of the most original horror movies that I've ever seen. So Hellraiser right now is streaming on Netflix, and I couldn't recommend it more. Sleepy Hollow, the Tim Burton movie from 1999. Um, obviously a take on the on the, the you know tale of Sleepy Hollow and Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman. Really good. It's probably my favorite Tim Burton movie. Um, and I, I reviewed this one at OverdueReview.com years ago, and I gave it a four-and-a-half star. I love love Sleepy Hollow. It's a, it's a really cool movie. Um, a great vehicle for Johnny Depp. Christina Ricci is really good in it. The whole cast is full of really great character actors. You'll see everyone and kind of recognize everybody. Um, and Christopher Walken as the Headless Horseman. I mean, brilliant casting with those creepy, sharp teeth. Uh, before he lost his head, obviously, it's a it's a it's a cool movie, man. Just a really cool looking movie, and I couldn't recommend it more. And it is it's pretty scary. So Sleepy Hollow right now is also streaming on Netflix. And finally on Netflix, Young Frankenstein. Is it horror? I don't know. I I think it's horror because I mean, essentially at the end of the day, it's still a monster movie. The look of the film is very you know Universal monsters. The black and white is beautiful, especially if you get to watch it on Netflix. It's kind of like upgraded in high definition and. It's just Young Frankenstein is kick-ass. If you've never seen it, it's one of the funniest movies of all time. Um, it's it's I don't know if it's my favorite Mel Brooks movie, but God, I mean that, that's that's tough. That's tough territory when you're talking Mel Brooks movies and your favorites. Producers is still very hard to beat uh, in my book, but Young Frankenstein's right there if it's not my favorite. So if you've never watched Young Frankenstein for whatever reason, Gene Wilder's dead now. Um, it's so sad, but go back and. And give this movie a watch, and uh, it's just a perfect little Halloween movie. It's so funny, and it's still, you know, pretty creepy at the same time. I couldn't recommend that one more. And on Amazon, three horror movies for you right now on Amazon Prime. First off, Pet Cemetery, uh, which is really one of the best Stephen King adaptations uh, that there is. It's got uh, the great Fred Gwynn is in Pet Cemetery, Herman Munster himself, um, and it's just a creepy ass premise. For a movie, you know, that you, there's this place where you can bury the dead. And if you come back, they will have risen from their grave, resurrected. Uh, I mean, what a creepy idea for a film. And the movie's well done, man. It's just it's, it's good old-fashioned uh, horror movie. So Pet Cemetery right now is on Amazon. Also, An American Werewolf in London. Talk about special effects that were ahead of their time. Uh, this was the movie that they invented the best special effects Oscar at the Oscars 
for this movie when it came out. This was the first movie to ever win that Oscar. So, uh, and it still looks cool to this day, just how they turned a guy into a werewolf and just that transformation. It's a neat movie, and it's it's funny too, um, but it's it's pretty scary and it's pretty gory also. So I, I couldn't recommend that one more uh, either. An American Werewolf in London right now. On Amazon, and finally, a movie that came out uh, last year, two years ago, *The Witch*, uh, a recent horror favorite of mine. And Beth and I saw this one in theaters. Absolutely loved it. I thought the ending was fantastic. Um, it's a cast of actors that you'll recognize from *Game of Thrones*, the aforementioned *Game of Thrones*. And the young lead is so good in this um, that I really look forward to seeing her in more stuff. But uh, yeah, *The Witch*, a very, very creepy movie, uh, set kind of back in the um, Salem witch trial days, the early, early days of America. Fantastic movie, uh, artfully done. And, uh, with it's just it's cr- so creepy, man. The ending creeped me out big time. Uh, so that right now is uh, streaming also on Amazon. It's called the witch. All right. I'm going to take off with on that note. Uh, and we'll talk to you guys in about another month. Thanks again to my partner in crime, Andy Sedlak, our music editor. Check us out at overduereview.com. And uh, give us a follow on Twitter as well, overdue underscore review. Um, And hit me with an email anytime at theclintdavis at gmail.com. Thanks, guys, so much for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Until then, stream on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.